just be the best you that you can possibly be. And I know that's really hard. You know, there are words that come out of your mouth easily, but you know, you, when you're not living your truth and, and life seems to be like a plain, painful place to be, this is when you know there's some work that needs to be done. Are you ready to master your mindset and your business? Join thousands of women each week who use this podcast as a tool to create financial and emotional wealth. And when you're ready to scale to the next level, visit theunstoppablewoman.com slash go. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Woman podcast. I am super excited to bring to you today a really interesting guest for you. Her name is Clarissa Burt, and she's an award-winning media personality, producer, director, writer, author, public speaker, and check it out, former supermodel and winner of Celebrity Survivor Show. That caught my attention, and we're going to have conversations about that. So welcome to the show. I know that you do a lot with women who have self-esteem issues, and I think that's going to be a really interesting topic for us today. So I'm excited to dive in. Welcome, welcome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, self-esteem is really so much more important, I think, than people give it credit for. (laughs) And um, for me, it was imperative that I write the book about the, the, the topic. I see so many women and I've seen so many women, uh, even when I was very young, you know, the well, role models or mothers, grandmothers and the yeah. like, uh, that really just were not living in their, you know, their full potential and sort of kowtowing their way through life um, and making some decisions that were really kind of questionable. So it was important to me to, um, after a certain point of, you know, life in life, I just said, you know, I have to write a book about this because there are so many common denominators between my mother and my grandmother, the models I've worked with, the other, you know, other women. And I, I just wanted to make it, sometimes you just want to take women and shake them. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's just dive right in there. So you were in the supermodel world and, you know, I've never been in the supermodel world. I am five foot one for everyone listening. They're always, when they meet me in person, they're always like, oh, oh wow. actually we're t- taller. Um, I am not a supermodel from any stretch of the imagination from a height wise or anything. But so from the outside looking in, we see all these like gorgeous women. Don't they have everything going for them? Don't they have the like the pretty woman life, right? But the to, you know, pull back the curtain for us. I know it's been a number of years since you were like deeply in that world, but tell us a little bit about why self-esteem doesn't actually come from you know, the outward response to you, because they're, you know, as a supermodel, you're, you're having people constantly tell you you're fabulous, I imagine. Maybe they're also telling you you're not fabulous, like you need to walk differently and talk well, differently. Well, I think, and- you know, just as a business, first of all, you know, modeling, acting, the performing arts is rife with re- rejection, right? So we've got that to work with. But I, I can't, I can't speak for every model on the planet, but I can tell you that models are, people too, and they're human too, and they have to live with the human condition, just like everybody else. So, but I, you know, I can tell you that there were some girls that I think that really, you know, really could have used a boost of self-esteem, whether they were living in toxic relationships or they were doing drugs or drinking too much, or, you know, kind of living, look, we're young and beautiful. We're living, you know, the party life, right? As you said, it's a really, it's a beautiful place to be for under certain aspects. But under others, you know, we are women that were out there in the world at a very young age and, you know, some ill-prepared for life. 
And so I think that that also has to be factored in. But, you know, self-esteem, no matter where, you know, no matter who you are, no matter what you are. And the other thing is you never take a test, right? It's like not a self-esteem test. You get a hundred on and all of a sudden you go, I'm good for life. That's it. That's not the way it works. So in answer to the question, yeah, supermodels or models or anybody, even again, actors that go you know through the same thing with the difficulties of, you know, having a kind of, you know, this really, you know, this perception of having it all when in effect they might only have a little less than all. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a big thing. I see it from both sides with my clients. So on very successful people who feel like they are a fraud because they're still in growth. And guess what, everyone? Everyone's in growth. So we're all expanding and becoming more. This is my perspective and philosophy. And if you can get good with that, then I think you have a level of confidence and self-esteem. But if you think you have to be all that already and like you never have to grow, that's a challenge. So I see it from the, I'm a fraud perspective. And then I also see it from when they, they look at other people like a supermodel or, or in their case, other people on social media who are business people in the same lane and they start doing this comparisonitis and they're like, there must be something wrong with me. And it negates their confidence. So how do you actually speak to the idea of, you know, the technical term that I have for it is comparisonitis, right? Like that, that thing where that's one great term. Yeah. How do you speak to that? Like, how do you help people with like seeing others, like being in this world and seeing others and not going into self-defeating thinking? Well, again, it's really easy to do now, especially with self uh, with social media, which has really, really changed the game as far as self-esteem 101 is concerned, which is never compare yourself to anybody else. It's the hardest thing to do and the easiest thing to say. I think when you start working on your self-esteem and any other personal health books, you know, uh, personal growth books can help you through this. And there are courses and classes and all kinds of things that support that can help you is that you get to be you. You are so lucky that you get to be you. You know, I mean, if you take a look at the statistics it's like one in a gajillion that, you know, when the when the sperm hit the egg, you were going to turn out to be you. And so uh, I often say that the divine source, God, Buddha, whoever it is you may believe in, uh, you know, they knew exactly what they were doing when they were creating you. And so it's not up to you to be deciding or second guessing what, what, what their thought was when you were created. Just be the best you that you can possibly be. And I know that's really hard. It sounds really, you know, there are words that come out of your mouth easily, but um you know, you when you're not living your truth and and life seems to be like a plain, painful place to be, this is when you know there's some work that needs to be done. And a lot of these things come from the natal tribe, right? They're from our childhood. They're the things that we're taught. When we start to move on in our path, you know, we, we're out of that tribe. We understand that the things are way different than what we were taught. At least in my case, it was. Give me an example of that, because this is one of the things that we talk a lot about in on this podcast is, you know, the conditioning from childhood, how that affects your current experience, but like for you, how did you find that, that, that like, do you have a, a tangible example? Cause not everybody was, a, well, not everybody was an alcoholic and not yeah. everybody, was not everybody was violent. Um, so, uh, and not every household yelled and screamed to get their points across, you know, not every household was Irish Catholic and extremely, you know, very, very severe in the upbringing. So when I got out there, it was, it took me a while to understand that there were softer ways that that you know that you could 
in which you could communicate, which was a really, it was super eye-opening for me. Um, yeah. And that, you know, you didn't have to drink for courage and that you didn't have to be, hit somebody to get your point across. Uh, you didn't have to live in violence. And so, you know, for me, which is very important for me is also my collaboration with domesticshelters.org, for example, which is headquartered here in the States, uh, in Phoenix, and they help women all over the United States uh, get out of, uh, you know, very, very uh, difficult situations. So yeah, this was really tangible for me is when I moved out and went, wow. And it takes a while, by the way, uh, Amira, it takes a while for somebody to, whoa, when you start seeing the difference and starting to be able to where you, where you're programmed to where you want to be, it takes a while in that growth and that personal growth to be able to go from point A to point B. Yeah. So talk to me about that. So like, clearly that upbringing had an incredibly impactful impression on you. How did it help you? I know that's like a twist on things. How did it help you with, say, having the courage to go on Celebrity Survivor or having the courage to be out there in front of the camera and putting you yourself out there in the, the modeling world? Like, how did it help? How did it hurt? Give me both. Well, I think, you know, first of all, I was, I was a very out, uh, you know, outgoing child. I was already Mary Poppins in the kindergarten play. To give you an idea. So the a microphone on the stage, I knew at an early age was always going to be in my life in some way, shape, or form, because I was hooked from the first applause. I sang supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I got a huge applause <laughs> and I went, this is going to be my life. <laughs> so with that having been said, uh, the idea that it would help me, I think what, you know, the idea there is I just didn't want to live that kind of life. I didn't want to live cloistered, imprisoned, oppressed. And the best way that you could possibly uh, be the absolute op- uh, opposite is to be on stage, right? <laughs> is, to, is to go get the applause. You don't get the applause at home. You know, you might as well find them somewhere else. And, you know, we're all looking for approval. I think that's also, uh, that's human 101. We love approval, all of us. And so my earliest experience of that was the approval of, the, the, of applause from complete strangers, but it was enough to, you know, to get me through. It took me a while after being Mary Poppins in the kindergarten play. And I was in the bands and the choirs and the drill teams and all of that. My parents were never there. They never came to see me. So I was marching down Main Street on the 4th of July parade. My parents never showed up. So I learned at a very early age that, you know, as much as I love the attention, you know, it was great. This is probably where I was going to be garnering attention. It wasn't going to be in the natal home. Back to what I said. What you learn there is what you take on the path uh, forward. So take what serves you. They did what they could with the tools in the shed that they had at the time. They were children having children. My mother was 19, just into 19 when I was born. And they did what they could with the best tools they, they had. So, you know, I think that that was lesson 101. I'm here. I was, you know, your parents are perfect and that you need, they need to be forgiven and you need to thank them for what they were able to give you. Then you move on, you put on some big girl panties, you move on, and and you you front this thing called life. Yeah. Okay, a couple questions there. Were you able to recognize that at, I don't know when you left home, but 18, 19, 20, that age, and forgive them at that point? Or or did you go through your life and then, yes. So it's it, looking back with hindsight. Yeah, I think that's an important piece because I think everyone has even – in the best family units, meaning the most functional versus dysfunctional, has 
trauma with a mini T, right? They're things that like <laughs> kids are just meaning making machines and, and they will make meaning out of all the experiences that they have. And sometimes they, they make meaning that they're wrong and someone else is right and all sorts of things. Right. And, and so I think even with the best, most functional childhood, you're, you're still looking back and wondering, why am I reacting in this automatic pattern? And you do have to do some deep work on forgiveness and, and recognition. Yeah. So um, let me then go back to something that you said that I think is really important. You had some insight, whether it was conscious or unconscious, as a child, that you weren't going to get attention, approval, support, i.e. love, in yes. the in the family unit, I I'm going to get it outside the family unit. What do you think allowed you? I have all sorts of ideas on my own, but like, what do you think allowed you to? Because some people will keep trying to get it in a dysfunctional oh, um, experience, <laughs> right? Yeah. Versus going out there and getting it in ways that are more functional. There's always dysfunction the potential for dysfunction in the ways right. we get it, but in a more functional way, like if you were looking back and analyzing yourself, what do you think it was about you that allowed you to go, this is a better way than this to get my needs met? Well, first of all, let me go back to what you said before. And that is nothing has any meaning except for the meaning you give it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as you say, when you're a child and you're at home, yeah, it's all, it's perception. Life is perception. Um, the idea that, um, what is it that I think it, I'll tell you right away, which is life kicked me in the teeth pretty darn quickly. Um, and that was through depression. There was a very big depression that came along when I was 25 that really set me back about two years. It was like, wow. Okay. What is this? Never was this when you were already doing supermodeling? Well, yeah, I was starting just getting started. I was about 25 okay. years old and I knew that something wasn't right. Uh, and I didn't know how to handle this. And that's when I started to delve into, because back then there were, you know, Walden books were still around, you know, there were bookstores at every corner. I lived in New York city. I was in Europe. I was, you know, there were books everywhere. And so, you know, I was able to live in the personal help or the personal growth or self-help section. You and that, me both, Clarissa, yeah, that, like did, the, the Saturday afternoon, in the evenings, whenever you, you had free time, you would go to the bookstore yeah. and you would sit on the floor because there was very rarely I still a, a sit chair. On the floor. I'm so right. I, I still sit on the floor. I, yeah. I'm in Barnes and Noble with the book now. I'm in Barnes and Noble because I'm doing the book signs. And yeah. I was in there the other day doing a book signing. After the book signing, of course, I hit and I went back in the corner. I'm still sitting on the floor. Yeah. So, okay. So you started helping yourself. You started reading Absolutely. and studying yeah, okay. and asking and asking. I was very inquisitive. I knew I couldn't go home to ask the questions because I wouldn't get you know the answers. And by the way, my parents had already split. My father was out of the picture at this point. So um, you know, there were a lot of changes also in my life. You know, here I am. I'm over in Europe, but my, my family is is sort of disintegrating. And and um, and so the depression was one of the most unexpected and most painful things that's ever happened to me. I still to this day say that mental pain is far by far greater pain than physical pain. And it, I mean, it, it was, it was really kicked my butt. So I knew that I had to start asking questions. And it, and then I found out the first thing I found out was, oh, it didn't happen only to me. 
oh, what's happened to you too? Well, can you tell me about it? And what does it mean? And what does it feel? And how does it stop? And how do you get out of this? You know, those sorts of things. So I was able to learn from the books that I read. And I, by the way, I've never read a romance, a fiction, a, you know, biography. I've always lived in the, in the personal growth, or they call it personal growth now. That was called the self-help section. That's where I lived. So I think that's a really interesting point that I am not alone in this, right? That, yes. that the recognition yeah. that there's a human existence and we each have different expressions of it, but there's a lot of commonality there. Is that part of what your driving force was in writing about the self-esteem yes. conversation? Yes. First of all, it was the, it was the it was the continuity right for, throughout my life of of seeing and watching others you know um, that I perceived as being spectacular human human beings and when I go back to I wanted to shake them was you know wake up you're so amazing why are you doing this to yourself or why are you living in that way oh please don't live in fear or please don't allow someone to treat you that way um, and I I don't know it sort, sounds a little controlling I guess and I don't mean for it to be it really comes from a good uh, good place in my heart, but I just wanted to start telling people. And I really think, you know, through my masterminds and the work that I do uh, with women, I've always been a rah-rah, you know, kind of a rah-rah sister for, come on, you really can do this. This is, you know, please, you know, I give them the, the tools that I have in the shed as I go along. Um, so let's talk about some of those tools. Okay. So you, you've seen this commonality, you've done a lot of work on yourself. Yes. You've gone through some hard times. You recognizing that your past is affecting your present you're you're researching you're studying you're realizing you're not alone and then you start doing something different right. that gets you different results let's let's dig into that piece right. what are some of the things that you did give us one or two thing two three things that you did that really made an impact in terms of both shifting you out of the depression but also like raising your self esteem right well first of all i realized at a certain point that the toxic had to stop here that I had to, you know, again, it's a very, it's really, when you start working on your self-esteem, you have to be really, really courageous because this work is not always going to be easy. I call it a regime. My book, self-esteem regime, a regime being an organized way of doing things. So I knew I really had to like get my thoughts in, in the proper order. I had to know that I was going to be my number one rah-rah session because I wasn't going to be getting it from somewhere else. And therein lies the mirror work, right? When you start talking to yourself and doing the work in the mirror, that can be, it, it looks weird and it feels weird and it sounds weird and it's kind of gnarly in the beginning. But when you go up to yourself in the mirror, you can say the things that you want to say to yourself, even if it's, I'm really sorry. You know, I'm sorry I let you down. I'm sorry that you, you know, I put you through that pain. I'm sorry I didn't see the red flags beforehand. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, you start to be more uh, uh, sympathetic uh, to, with yourself. I think that's where you start to go, wait a minute, I don't have to be superwoman all the time. I don't have to be perfect all the time. I have to you know, know that I'm an imperfect being. I'm going to continue to be one. Nobody's perfect. And so put that on the plate, check, got that off the list. I'm imperfect. And that you know, we don't have to be on game, on top of our game all the time. The second thing was, it was, was again, it's kind of in the, in the same keeping was, you know, self-care, learning to take the time to stop when you know you're in overload, overflow, that I, I personally don't handle stress very well. I can take a certain point and then it, I, I, it's like the wiring goes a little off and people go, whoa, you know, where did that come from? And what, well, this is what, you know, what I know I need to 
because I'm a, I'm a workhorse. I'm 24 seven. I will go, go I work weekends. They're in a vacation. I don't know what that is. I don't, what's a vacation? Like what's time off? Y'all know. So, and I like it that way. That's okay. But I also know that I have to be mindful and st- check in with myself and say, stop. Okay, stop. So is the, is the stress response, do you find that that's like a trauma response when you, like when you go over your limit? Yeah, it could be a trauma response. I think uh, it might be also the way I'm wired, but yeah, trauma responses definitely um, are something that I also uh, had to take a look at. Um, And that was, if you push my button, if you anger me, if you make me feel, uh, for example, if you make me feel obligated. Mm. Right. That was the, that was the core. That was the bane of my existence was obligation when I was in the, you know, in the, in the natal house, uh, home, everything was obligation. You had to, had to, had to, and had to be done at a certain times. It was very regimented. That's how you felt trapped. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah, no and I'll tell you, I'll tell you something else. And I've been in you know relationships over the years. I've been loved. I've loved desperately, uh, but I've never been married. And I think that that also is something that I, you know, I, not because I don't want to, and not because I wouldn't love to, but maybe it is because I'm creating those relationships that I know will go to a certain point and not beyond. I have to take a look at that as well. Right. Cause that would trap you. Oh, very exactly. interesting. Very so there's interesting. a couple of things there that I wanted to point out to my listeners. So I talk occasionally on the podcast about the forgiveness practice that I teach, but also uh, for our, our clients, I teach them this particular aspect of a forgiveness practice. And there's many forgiveness practices out there. But what I saw in how you were describing the mirror practice that you talk about, I just want to connect the dots for people. She's forgiving herself. And that's such a key aspect in the forgiveness practice that I teach, because oftentimes people teach, you have to forgive someone else. But it's so critical to forgive yourself for your part in it, whether it's the ignorance of being in a situation or the staying or the beating yourself up about it for the last 20 years or whatever you've been been engaged with negatively with that situation, you have to recognize that you are at cause and personal responsibility for for that aspect of it, not for other people, but for that aspect of it. And when you're able to forgive yourself, that, that I personally think that's why we have such a hard time forgiving others is that we can't forgive ourselves. Well, it's an act of self-love. Yeah, totally. So, you know, loving yourself. You know, I think we've always been taught to love everybody else and take care of everybody else, especially us women. But very rarely has anybody ever said, now listen, don't forget to stop along the way and love yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, don't forget to stop along the way and, and, and you know, do some self-care. Don't forget to stop along the way and pat yourself on the back. And the other thing is support systems, right? Who is it that we are surrounding ourselves with that really do support those efforts, right? That really are also patting you on the back. The rest mm-hmm. of my last chapter in the book is reciprocal. And that mm-hmm. was one of the toughest ones for me because, because uh, you know, there, there came a point where I'm such a goer, 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 doer, 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 and I'm the caretaker par excellence. But when I, I think one day I stopped and said, damn it, I feel like I'm always doing something for everybody else. But when it comes time for me, where is everybody? You know, and it was a shitty thing to say, but I said it because I was really feeling frustrated in the moment. And somebody in the room said to me, you know, Clarissa, it's really hard to give to you. It's really hard to do for you. Perception being you are everything, you got everything, you do everything. You have. The perception of you and your totality is so 
it's so um, scary for other people that they don't know what to do for you. And I really took a deeper look at that. And again, soften some of those, some of those corners, those edges that need to be softened and allow people to be able to give, whether it be a compliment or a gift or some help, um, be very, very mindful about the, you know, you and how other, I mean, if you can lock in how others perceive you and then work on the negative, you know, the not so pleasant aspects, let's say that's huge. Yeah. it's a home run. Yeah. And and what I think is so interesting is that the females tend to be conditioned to be givers. And yet the feminine, meaning the feminine essence in everyone, which is different than the, exactly. different than the sex, is about receiving. Yes. And it's like in okay. our our conditioned acts of giving, we have lost it's such an outward, we've lost that, that expansive allowing to receive. So let's talk about a couple of things. Well, let me, let me interject there. And therein lies the conundrum as to why men are so damn confused. (laughs) You think about Mm. that. They went from their grandmothers that was one way to their mothers that was, you know, a complete other way to to the women that they're finding today, I'll throw myself in the mix, even though I'm older, but to women that they're finding today that are exactly what we just said, mm. that don't know how, that are giving, 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 and not, and supposed to be receiving and don't know how to, as well. men are having a hard time finding that, you know, how to wedge themselves into that. I think not because we need to feel sorry for them, but we need to kind of help them a little bit, maybe more, <laughs> you know, hold their hands a tad every once in a while through things and just, you know, be really, be really snatched in your communication and, and not, you know, default to anger every time they screw up. Guys are just as susceptible to low self-esteem and poor self-esteem as women are. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, the thing that I teach is that we're always first cause and So in order to be able to have what we want, we need to be what we want. So we need to be able to receive. Okay. And, and so as you started off the conversation with, you know, several topic points earlier, you started looking at yourself and you had to not make yourself wrong, but look at what needed to shift in yourself in order to be able to be someone who has what she wants. So I do want to shift to the idea of applying this in business because much of our community are high-performing entrepreneurial women. They are professionals like attorneys, real estate agents, chiropractors, um, business leaders, coaches, all of that. And they are often, they might not be the elbows out version that you were talking about when you were self-describing, and some of them might relate to that. But in in any case, they are, they are high-performing women, and I think it's important to speak to how do you stay in your high performing business place and be able to receive and what does self image have to do with that can you can you connect yeah, those I dots that, there i think that if you remember to be as as empathetic as you could possibly be in reminding yourself that everyone in that room no matter how successful, has an inner child. 
Mm. Feeling that everybody's in your child. I don't care where you are. I don't care how high on the ladder you are. I don't care how successful you are. You're in a child and they're in a child are meeting at that boardroom table. Do you, do you walk into the room, uh, you know, the proverbial boardroom or a networking place or like a, even a, 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 a party or a gathering and, and, uh, look around the room and just see everyone's inner child versus seeing their outer. I do. I, it's funny you should say that because I do. Because look, for a really long time, for me, the easiest thing to do, um, and when we go back to you know screaming success is that you know that's what you're talking about and your clients are. Yeah. It's really easy for us to bulldoze. In many personality cases, it, especially A types, much like myself, it's really easy to bulldoze and make it all about you all the time. And when you, when you can flip a little bit, you know, flip that, that, that narrative. And what's the objective? The objective is to come together in a common place and in the center, hopefully. So, you know, the idea that you're now your child and their child, because they, children always get along. You throw them in the room, they don't get along. <laughs> they might fight over a toy every once in a while. But truthfully, they don't see color. They don't see race. They don't see religion. They're just loving beings. I freaking love that, Clarissa, that concept. Like, children always get along. And if you can see the child in the other person. Oh, I, I freaking love that. That's awesome. Um, what about social media? You talk in your book about how social media has an impact on self-esteem. And I get that. People are often like Comparing. flipped out. Like I post something, no one says anything. I'm going to stop. Why should, why should I do this? And, you know, and, and, you know, quite frankly, when it's crickets, the noise in your head can go a little bit cray cray, you know, at the worst, it, you know, at the best, it's like, oh, maybe I needed to do, say something different or do something different there. At the worst, it's like, this is not working. I'm going to throw the towel and all of that. So like, how do you, how do you work with social media? What's your perspective well, again, on that? You know, again, I'm not going to try to sound redundant, but you're working with somebody's inner child when, you know, it's like, I want what she has, right? First of all, a lot of social media is perception. So I can rent the Lamborghini and the big uh, villa for the day, take pictures all I want. And this has been done. We know this to be true. It's not in every case, but for the guy who really does own the Lamborghini or the gal that really does own that big villa, you know, in the South of France or whatever you want to call it. Damn, I'm so happy for her. I want to live in happy self-esteem. Self-esteem means that I am so confident with myself and my path and my truth and where I'm going next and how I'm going to slay that I don't have to worry about anybody. I truly, because only there's that reciprocity thought again. That's a thought process that I am happy and grateful for who I am and where I am. I'm working my, you know, my way forward to wherever I want to be. So happy that someone got there uh, before me to make, potentially show me the way or someone that could mentor me or someone that I could garner from or learn from, whatever that is. I mean, if people weren't successful and you couldn't look up to them, then, you know, what the heck, then we're out here all floundering and flapping around. Yeah. So, so what I'm really hearing there is, is gratitude and appreciation is, is the tool that flips it from yeah. this isn't working. I don't, I'm not good enough to, this is, do the this other, is do freaking this fantastic. Do this too. And this sounds kind of, you know, sounds very simplistic, but you know, that whole, that saying about walk a mile in their shoes, mm. you don't know what people are going through. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what they had to do to get that. You don't know, you know, you don't ever know someone's background. And I think that as I was doing my work and as I was, you know, sort of bringing it into a level where I was getting along, really trying to get along with everybody as much as possible, is that you have to want to be a better person tomorrow than you are today. 
And that's what I strive to be a better person tomorrow than I am today. Yeah. Uh, I like to live what I call high. And I know, you know, this is, I want to live high. And that is with honesty. I mean, radical honesty. I want to be as honest with you as I am with myself. Honesty, integrity to me is paramount. Who are you when nobody else is in the room? Who are you? How are you acting? How are you reacting? Uh, you know, who are you? The next one is gratitude. Gratitude everywhere. I don't care who you are. I don't care, you know, what we're talking about, you know, how bad life gets. There is something you need to be thankful for. Roof over my head, warm bed, you know, pantry full of food, whatever it may be, friends, family, health. There's something we always have to be grateful for. And the last H is um, uh, um, honor. So honor is something that I, when people say, Clarissa, you're such a woman of honor. I was on Survivor. We were talking about me being on Survivor really quickly. I was on Survivor. We're not supposed to eat. And I lost a lot of weight. And that was great. <laughs> besides that, besides that, you know, we're not supposed to eat. Well, there were a couple of chickadees that were on the island with me that were much younger and so pretty and, you know, flouncing around in their teeny weeny bikinis. And it's great. But look, I love, it was great. I used to be there. It was fun. So an exercise you're supposed to do one day, they take us up in a helicopter. But before we do that, these girls had talked the helicopter uh, guy into going into the into the little kiosk there and getting some snacks. So he goes and he buys you know the food and he brings it back out. And I'm watching this all go on there and back of me in the helicopter and I'm in the front. So they're coming in. Here he comes with his bag and whatever. Oh, thank you, thank you. And they grab the bag and they start eating and they they pass you know some of this stuff to me. And I look back and I said, No, 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 thanks, no, thank you. Well, first of all, I marginated, you know, I was completely, you know, detached. Now I'm marginated from the two of them. Mm-hmm. Now that put me in a different place because now they're afraid that I may say something, which I never would. And I knew in that moment that I was living by the rules of the game, that I wasn't trying to, you know, to play the system in any way, shape, or form. And I know I'm not a goody two shoes, but I really felt proud of myself in that moment when you can feel proud about the choices that you're making because it was the right thing to do. And Clarissa, you won. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so I I just want to point that out to people. Okay. Because oftentimes let me, let me, um, connect the dots here for, it's not always easier choice. It's not, but here's the thing, Clarissa, here's the thing. Oftentimes women will have the, the thought in order to make money in my business, I have to be unethical. I only, they've been brought up with the concept that rich people are unethical, that to make money, you have to wheel and deal and do non-honorable things. And so my point in saying this is not that this was a business per se, but I mean, Celebrity Survivor is a business, not your unique business, but is a business. You won that with ethics. And I think it's an important point. Okay. So before I ask my last few questions, where can people find you and where can they get your book? Well, I'm on every social except Snapchat as Clarissa Burt. So that's pretty easy. The book is in Barnes & Noble on the Barnes & Noble website and certainly on the Amazon website. And uh, it's also Kindle, so digital, and it's also Audible. So you can listen to it. Great. Thank you. Okay. So speaking of self-esteem. What do you love most about yourself? Oh, that I'm in, I'm in constant growth period, a moment. I constantly, as I said, I want to be better tomorrow than I am today. And how can I do that? 
it's tough. It's not always easy. I mean, life is life. You know, the ebb and flow of life is something we're all dealing with on a daily basis. These are very trying times. Um, so these are the times I think when people really need to be delving more into personal uh, growth books, into self-help, into courses and classes, finding the support system, nurturing your support system, because, you know, you're going to feel a little cuckoo sometimes. You need someone you're going to be able to rant with, you know, off board with. Who are you talking to? You know, what are you listening to? Uh, yeah. is, you know, be, I'm almost cloistered at this point, whereas I live in a very, you know, I've got the chill music on all day long. I've got essential oils that are diffusing in the air. I've got a couple of batches of soap that I stopped to make over the weekend because I just had to detach and get myself back into craft mode. And I have much more I can be doing, believe me, but I needed to be in the kitchen, getting my hands dirty. It's just- That's your Zen, huh? Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely. great. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So what makes you an unstoppable woman? Oh, because I know, I know that I've got, I've got a very, very little time right now to do exactly. I know, I'm, I'm going to tell myself conscious. Maybe I only have another 30, 40 years. Let's give it the best case scenario. But, um, but that's not a lot of time. That's really a flash in the pan to be able to do what it is I want to do and, and see what I want to see. And that is every woman and child in this universe lives as an esteemed being. And uh, I'm very passionate about the position and condition of women. I'm working on the women's global event right now, bringing in women from countries all over the world so that we can talk about just that. This is not about being a feminist. This is not about what our Supreme Court has just decided. This is about, this is this is global in its aspect. And uh, and, and the four pillars of self-esteem being look good, feel good, be good, and greater good. How can we also be helping women um, in even some of the most, what we would consider the smallest and most insignificant ways? How is that we connect? Can we connect to one another and really be of, of service and support service, not, you know, is kind of a word that people don't like to use anymore. Let's stay with support, but I, I, I'm happy to serve whoever it is. I, you know, may need anything I'd be able to, to offer. So you are an unstoppable woman because you have urgency to achieve your big goals. Is that what I'm hearing Absolutely. of service? Yeah. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Clarissa. It's been an honor and a joy to have you on the podcast. Thank you for sharing a little bit about your story and your progress and the things that you have done to build your own self-esteem and your passion for self-esteem and for women everywhere. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. You're welcome. 